Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, it's 858. Uh, or turn on your device to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21. As you're turning there, just want to say thank you again for all the encouragement and the opportunity uh, to pursue my D-men. Uh, this is my last seminar, and though I have a year's worth of work on my project to do, uh, since May, I have read over 3,100 pages of books. I have written over 40, 42 pages for class, along with 55 pages worth of sermons. So uh, it has been a busy three months, but God is good. It is not anything that I have done. Uh, as a matter of fact, as I, last night I said, I don't know how I could even possibly function uh, with everything going on without God doing it on my behalf. So I thank him and I thank you all for the encouragement, prayers, and the opportunity. And uh, today I want to dive into God's word because we have uh, an opportunity to pray for our Salt Lake City team here in a few minutes, but we want to meet with God. We want to be encouraged by him. We want to be reminded of what Jesus wrote preached and encouraged us that we are, if we are blessed, if we want to inherit the kingdom, we are other world people. We live differently from this world. That it would be said of you and of me, of our church here in this community, boy, they live as though they're already in heaven. That they live as Jesus has said. And this is what the Sermon on the Mount is about, living as other world people. Today, uh, we are going to look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21, and the challenge before us is to be reconciled and to attack our anger. So let's look at that, verse 21 through verse 26. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you are on the way with them to court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Let us pray. God, we ask you together as your people, we want to meet with you in your word and we want you to change us. Because we know that your word is true, your Holy Spirit is powerful and active in our lives, that we would, if anything in this scripture is we are against it, that we would repent and come in line in obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
Now, I rarely ever show a video before a sermon, but when I saw this this week, I was amazed. That was a 50-second video, and you saw how quickly a fire, a wildfire, can spread in a forest. This is in Bastrop, Texas. This year, they celebrated five years of the anniversary of the most devastating fire that Texas has seen. There were two lives lost, uh, 12 people were injured, 36 days that the fire burned, 36 businesses destroyed, 57 new fires began in September and lasted 36 days. 91% of the wildfires uh, there were caused because of a spark. There were 1,600 homes destroyed. There were 5,000 people evacuated and 34,000 acres burned. $209 million worth of damage that was done. It is quickly to see that a wildfire, a forest fire, can move as fast as 6.7 miles per hour, as we just saw there on display, and 14 miles per hour in the grasslands. The reality is for us, so too can burn anger in our hearts that it can spread even faster. It can spread faster the way that we talk, the way that we treat others, the way that we eventually can physically harm. Anger is really rooted in pride. Pride saying that my feelings, my revenge, my thoughts are more important than the way that I treat someone. This is pride that the root that begins with a husband beating a wife or a child or a, a, a woman beating a child or someone eventually murdering someone. Anger spreads like wildfire. But Jesus says anger should not have any part in the life of a believer. Jesus says later in the sermon that we will read through Matthew 5 through 7 that it is even more so that we as Christians behave opposite of this, that we love our others as ourselves, that we actually are so radical that we love our enemies and that we mean it, that Jesus says later that we forgive seven times 70. This is how radically different that a Christian is from the world around us. Jesus says anger is not the way and the life of believer. Verses 21 through 26, Jesus is correcting and challenging the view of murder of his listeners. As we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount and we read the Beatitudes, uh, the purpose of it is to say, how do we have a blessed life? How do we inherit the kingdom? Jesus says that you have a heart that is fixed on God, that it is different than the world around you. And in verse 20, there is a total shift in the sermon. In verse 20, Jesus says that if you are to be inherit the kingdom, that you will have a righteousness greater than the Pharisees. That if your righteousness doesn't exceed the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
So throughout the rest of this sermon, there are times that Jesus is comparing and saying, look, if you want to inherit the kingdom, no matter what you've read, no matter what you've heard, there is a greater righteousness that you are to pursue. There is something greater before you. Jesus says five times in the text to follow that he says something like this, you have heard that it was said this, and then he follows, but I tell you, what is clear about this, Jesus says this here in our text this morning, but what Jesus is not saying is that he's not saying that I am demolishing the Old Testament, that I don't think that the writers of the Old Testament knew what they were talking about, but Jesus is saying clearly, your understanding of the scripture is wrong. I have come to fulfill the law, and there is a greater righteousness that you have missed. You have focused on the act of murder, but I say that God is concerned with your heart. And when you have angered, you have gotten angry even a little bit, you have sinned. Jesus is reminding us and negating this, that anger is sinful and not the characteristic of a believer. Today I want us to look at how the danger of being angry or anger and how we can attack anger as a follower of Jesus so that we can live truly countercultural in our lives today. Firstly, let's look, look at this. You must attack anger with love. Verse 21 says, you have heard that it was said that our ancestors do not murder and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So how did the Pharisees get the command, thou shall not kill wrong? I mean, they weren't going around saying, no, it's okay to kill. It's okay to murder. What were they doing to get wrong? Well, the same thing that we do with Scripture, they did on, on steroids. They either added to Scripture or they took away the importance of the Scripture. They would add to the Scripture that they would add minute details that were not laid in Scripture so that they could control the situation, control their life, so that they could have an outward appearance of righteousness, but not an inward appearance of righteousness. For example, they made up specific rules to follow the command that, that the Sabbath shall be holy. They made up rules like how far someone could walk on the Sabbath, and that was a thousand yards, that how much someone could write on the Sabbath, it was one word, how much food someone could take out of storage, and that was one gulp. All of these were determined so that they could control and have an outward appearance of righteousness instead of really focusing on the heart. On the other hand, they also took away the consequence of the sin. They said that if you murdered someone, that you were subject to the courts, that you were subject to the law, that you were subject to a judge. Well, what Jesus is saying, that you have reduced the punishment of sin to say that only here on earth will you find judgment. No, who gave the law? Who gave the penalty? God himself. 
There's a greater, far greater judgment that you must consider. And it's not just an outward appearance, but the inner heart. If you are angry at someone, then you are just as sinful, just unjust as someone who murders someone. So Jesus says clearly in verse 21, uh, verse 22, but I tell you, Everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus is saying it's not just murdering, but a kingdom person shouldn't get angry at someone. That if you do get angry, it is sinful. Well, you might say, well, Jesus got angry. We read Jesus got angry in the scripture. Isn't Jesus hypocritical, pastor? But I would say, no, look, Jesus is saying that You cannot be angry over personal offenses of yourself, but you should be angry at sin and things that are offensive to God. When he was angry, when was he angry? He was angry in the temple that people were defaming the name of God. He was burning with anger at sin and injustice. But our problem is, when we get angry, we burn with indignation and anger, not at sin and injustice, but at the offense that has been given to ourselves. Let us be admitted, let's admit it today, that we are quick to anger when we are personally offended and affronted. But we are slow to anger when there is sin and injustice in other areas of the world. And if you're concerned that Jesus maybe was hypocritical today, may we look at just how Jesus lived. If Jesus was truly being angry at personal injustice, that his ego was wrapped up in an issue, look at how he treated people who spit on him, who he was illegally beaten, he was uh, mocked and crucified. First Peter said to, about Jesus that when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. From his parched lips came forth gracious words as he hung illegally on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And what about Peter? When Peter... Uh, left him and ignored him and ran away from him. Surely when Jesus was to see Peter again after the resurrection, he was going to give him his peace of mind and put him down the road. But no, what was Jesus' first words to Peter? Peace be with you. You see, our Savior had nothing to do with writing his own personal injustice, but he was angry at sin. And Jesus is saying here that if you are angry at people, you have put your anger to the wrong place. We should never be angry at people. We should always be angry at sin. He clarifies and goes on. He says, whoever insults his brother will be subject to the courts. The word insult there is raka, which means worthless. That it means that you are treating someone worthless. When you are angry at someone, You're treating them as they are worthless in your sight, that your righteous indignation, that your insults and cutting, that your revenge is more important than them as a person. You are treating them as worthless. 
Anger builds in our lives to get to a point that we are so above people around us that we treat them as though they are worthless. But he goes on and says, any one of you who says, you fool, are subject to hellfire. Well, you already know, I'm going to teach you this morning, you already know a little Greek and you didn't even know it. The term here for you fool is moros, which we get the English term moron. Jesus is saying here that if you call someone a fool, an idiot, a moron, when you are lashing out at them, that you are subject to hellfire. That you are just as bad as someone who murders because you are insulting, killing their reputation that you are hurting their heart, that you are hitting and murdering a piece of them that a murderer can't get to on the outside. You are murdering their heart, their feelings, their conscience. Today, we need to be reminded that anger is dangerous, that it goes out of control, that we get to the point where we treat people where they are worthless and that we murder their hearts. I'll tell you, and I hate to admit this today, it is actually painful for me, but I am not a patient driver. Sarah nudges me from time to time of my impatience while driving. I I talk about Ohio driving. If you have an Ohio license plate, I have to be repentant to you this morning because I do not like or have said many bad things about Ohio drivers I'm not patient when I have to wait. I'm not patient when someone cuts me off. I'm not patient when someone's not driving the way that I want them to drive. I am impatient and very short-tempered. This week, actually, I was thinking about papers and sermons and meetings. And I was sitting at a light, actually over here at Kroger, and I was sitting there in the right-hand lane at the red light, and my mind wandered, and all of a sudden I heard, me, 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 and I'm, I was like, what, what's going on? I look in my rearview mirror, and there's some lady who's like, <laughs> and my first reaction was, what? <sighs> yeah. I mean, yes, I can turn right on red, but I don't have to turn right on red. And I, you know, there's, I'm not hurting anybody. And I, you know, I started to get defensive. And then the Spirit spoke loud. How does it feel now, Sean? How does it feel now? You see, when we are impatient, when we are sinful, we treat other as worthlessness. Friends, let us be reminded that as Jesus confronts his audience today, he's confronting us. How does it feel when you get treated that way? You see, you think you yourselves, Jesus is saying, you think you yourselves are so far from a murderer as someone who has killed someone, but have you not hated Have you not ever wished someone was dead? Have you never stooped to the use of contempt? Have you ever used anger as as the root of how you have spoken about someone? Look, the reality, Jesus is saying, you are just as sinful as someone who is a mass murderer. Best example of this is given is there is a seed, a seed that in 
which anger has been placed into and is rooted in our hearts or in the ground. And that hatred, that anger over time is bottled up. And as it is watered and it is fed, it bursts. And in some people, it's a burst of anger words. And in some very bad cases, it is murderous. So what is the difference between us and a mass murderer? Really nothing. It is quantity, not quality. It is time of of watering and feeding and building that anger in our hearts. So when Paul says, I am the chief of all sinners, he is saying, he might be saying that, yes, I have done some things that I'm not proud of that I know that Christians were put to death, but people would say, oh, Paul, you're not the worst of all sinners because there are people who have killed and maimed and done worse things than you. But Paul says, I consider myself the worst of sinners. Why? Because I know that it is not me that is any different than anyone else. It is not me different than anyone who is a murderer. The only thing difference between me and that murderer is quantity and not quality. The only thing different from us as a Christian is but an ounce, an ounce of grace, an ounce of Jesus. And when we realize that there is nothing different from us that there's an utter different approach to the world. There's an utter different approach to anger. That that different approach is the love of Christ, the grace that we have received. That we understand that we are so sinful, that we deserve as much punishment as the worst of all murderers. But by grace, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. We are empowered to love and challenge anger in our hearts. See, a Christian is never condescending but only compassionate because a Christian says the difference between you and me is only a degree of grace. We love because we were loved. We refrain from anger because God's Son took God's anger from us. What ways are you murdering in your heart today? Turn to the cross and fuel the love in your heart for others. Secondly, attack anger by making peace. Verse 23 says, so if you are offering your gift on the altar and there are remembering that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Normally we like to stop at the don'ts because we can control that. We won't do this. That is easy. But Jesus always says there's something more than not doing something. There's something that we must do. And Jesus is saying here that we must go further to stop anger, that we must do, go further to be reconciled, and that is to bring and make peace. The opposite of anger and, uh, is love and peace. Therefore, Jesus is challenging those. Do not be in anger, but instead go even further. Make peace so that anger cannot get a root in your heart. Jesus says that we are different, that my children, my family, my followers, we reconcile with each other. So how do we fight anger? Well, we go even further by, not, by letting go of bitterness, by not letting it take root, that when we have an offense or something goes wrong, that we quickly make peace with one another. Jesus even goes as far as say, God will not and does not even want to accept your offering. He does not want to even take your worship. 
It is better for you, he says, to put God on hold in reverence, to go and make amends than to return back to worship. He goes on to say, leave your offering at the altar and go and make a peace and come back. The reality is Jesus says, look, it is not this outward work of righteousness and worship, but instead it is your heart. Luke 16, 15, he says, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. Friends, aren't we more comfortable in religious ceremony than in obedience? Aren't we more comfortable in looking like things are okay? That we have come and we've sang and that we've given our tithes and our money, that we've done good to someone. It, 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 it is much easier to look good on the outside, but it's harder to be real about the place of our hearts. The reality is, is that we, if we are real, we do what Christians do. We are real and repentant. We, it is harder to reconcile, friends, isn't it? But all the joy, all the freedom that once you have come to peace with one another, that you have put these issues aside and you move together in love, when we reconcile, it is parties working humbly together under the grace of God to work out our issues. And what Jesus is saying, even if you are a Christian dealing with a non-Christian, the issue is always with you. Jesus says, if someone has something against you, go and be reconciled. But later on in Matthew chapter 18, he says, when you have something against someone, what should you do? Go and be reconciled. In every situation, who is the onus on? It's on you. It's on me. We must go make amends. It doesn't matter if someone's done something to us or we've done something to them. It is always on us. And what does that do in this loving picture of God and how we are in Christ's church? That we both come together wanting peace. That we both want to make amends. Jesus says, go and be reconciled. And the responsibility always stops at you. So if there's anything going on, we as Christians must work together. I've shared this story before, but uh, a friend in my life group back in Virginia, uh, he was working, he's a kind of a supervisor in, in a concrete plant, and he told us at life group, he said, Sean, he said, you know, I've just moved up at ball, as boss, and this, this guy messed up this, uh, messed up an order, and I gave him down the road, and I'll be honest, pastor, I, I just wasn't very Christian about it, and I said, okay, well, what do you think you should do about that? He said, well, I don't think anything. I had to show him who's boss. I had to tell him what was right. And I said, well, do you think that's what the Scripture teaches, that Christian bosses should treat their employees, let alone how Christians should treat one another? Shouldn't you probably go back and apologize for the way you behaved? Oh, pastor, no, I don't, I don't know, because you've got to be the boss sometimes. You've got to show them so that they'll listen. Well, I got a call later that week Pastor, what you said gnawed on me all week, and I went, and I went to this man, and I told him, hey, you know what, I'm a Christian, I'm so sorry, I apologize, I should have dealt with this in a different way. He said, you know what, we've got a better relationship now. We were able to talk about a lot of things, and now we have a clear relationship together. 
Friends, the reality is Jesus says if we are to attack anger, to stop it from ruining, that you need to go and be reconciled. You know, today, many comedies on TV or in shows are built on broken relationships. It's always one who messes up the other or there's a struggling relationship. It reminds me of a time when Lady Astor said, to Winston Churchill, he said, she said, Mr. Churchill, if I was your wife, I would put poison in your coffee. To which Churchill responded, ma'am, if I was your husband, I would drink it. <laughs> now that's funny. <laughs> but here's the reality. If we have a rocky relationship it's anything but funny. It's mostly always hurtful. But today, is God calling you to be reconciled in a relationship? Today, you could be more like Jesus about a kingdom person. That if you altered the way that you left the place today. Normally you go and probably go and what, you know, eat lunch, fall asleep to the race, or go and do some yard work, or see some friends, how much more would you be like Jesus if you met with a brother or sister in Christ and was reconciled? How much more would you be like Jesus if you picked up the phone and, and made amends with someone? How much more would you be like Jesus if you sat down with your spouse and forgave? Friends, we must go and be reconciled. And finally, Jesus reminds us to number three, attack anger with urgency. Verse 25, reach a quick settlement with the adversary while you're on the way to him to court. Or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. I, prison. I will tell you that you will never go out of there until you have paid the last penalty. Quickly, Jesus is urging us to not let disagreements fester, not let anger rage, not let anger move on. He uses this example of a debtor's prison. It was to many centuries, not anymore, but uh, soon it was that if you had a debt, you would go to prison to pay that off, that you would have to be in prison until that debt was given over. Sometimes your friends and family could raise money and pay off your debt and therefore that you would be released but what Jesus is using the example here that is if uh, if you have someone against you and you it's as if you're holding a debt that you need to make amends you need to forgive you need to stop anger quickly as quick as it is even if it's on the courthouse steps because why a greater judgment is coming what is that greater judgment? Well, he, he shows, here's the picture, that if we allow anger and bitterness to fester, it will explode. That you may eventually, your anger hurt goes in words, your anger goes in hurting people, it goes actually into hurting even your reputation. Anger can even go as far as to murder Jesus says the judge is coming. Make sure that you get control of anger, that you seek forgiveness, that you make amends because that judge is coming. But also be reminded that it is not the courts of this world that will decide. It is God who is the judge. Pharisees saw that not killing was the greatest punishment by being in the court. But Jesus reminds us that all sin is against God. 
And as believers, when we sin, we must run to him, seek forgiveness, but not stopping there, but go to that person and, and find togetherness to peace and to deal with this before God as judge deals with you. Now you may say here today, Pastor, everything you've said is right, but I could never do this. You could say, I could never be this righteous. I could never do this. Well, friends, if you say that, you're on the road to getting control of your anger. Because the point of the Sermon on the Mount is that if you have righteousness exceeding the Pharisees, that you will inherit the kingdom of God. We will never have that kind of righteousness. We will never be perfect. We will always be inclined to anger. We will always have issues. But we as believers know that when we say, God, we can't, only you can. Christ, we need your righteousness. Christ, we need your spirit. Christ, we need you to allow us to, to put out anger in our hearts. And as believers, we must turn to Christ you see, the law was meant to show you that you could never do this. It wasn't that I just don't murder, but instead that you should never be angry. There is a greater righteousness. So therefore, we must need the Spirit of God to help us not be angry. Which begs the question this morning. Have you been born again? Do you have the Spirit of God do you know that in you is the God of the universe who will allow you, equip you, and grow you to control your anger? Do you know that you have been forgiven of the anger that you have had in your heart? Do you find yourself being murderous in your heart? Well, friends, Jesus through the scriptures is saying that you are condemned because of this. You're subject to hellfire. But Jesus also says, I have given my life for you. That I have come and that I have hung on a cross that if you repent and believe in me, that all the debt and burden of your sin will be wiped away. That I have paid and given you absolutely free Freedom from your sin. Thank God for these terms for bankrupt, foul sinners like us. Do you find yourself in this murderous state? Well, friends, if you are absolute confession and repentance, go to God. Come to Him. Seek forgiveness. Everything we can do by restitution and acknowledgement of our sin to others, we must go to them as well. But we go through the self-giving, self-sacrifice of the Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, when we are convicted of our anger, we must quickly leave our gift at the altar and run, make amends. There's a Disney movie. That was a, it's a very small movie. It's not a normal Disney movie. It's a, in 1999, it was a movie called The Straight Story. It was about a man named Alvin who was estranged from his brother for many years, found out his brother Lyle had a stroke. And because Alvin was 73 years old, his eyesight was impaired, 
he thought, well, how am I going to go see Lyle? So he got an old 1966 John Deere tractor, uh, hooked an old dilapidated trailer behind it, and set across country. He wanted to make amends. And on his travels, he finally stopped at this cemetery. He thought there was a nice space to pull, and he pulled in. And the pastor at the church that the cemetery was behind saw him, had concern about him, brought him some food, and began to talk to him. And he asked Alvin, he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to make amends with your brother. Well, tell me about your brother. He said, well, neither of us have really been a brother for some time. But growing up, we were inseparable. We did our chores together. We talked through life together. In Minnesota, the farm, we spent almost every summer night laying out and looking at the stars. Then Alvin's eyes began to well up with tears when the pastor asked, well, what happened? He said, Pastor, it was really as a story as old as Cain and Abel. Anger, jealousy, vanity mixed with hard times and other things Two brothers haven't spoken for years. But whatever has made us so mad at each other, I hope that we can put it aside. Because I would long to look up at the stars with my brother again. Like Alvin, many of us have someone who we deeply long to be reconciled with. Some of us here today need to be reconciled with God. That we as sinners must take account from God and ask God to be reconciled to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you feel that you're far from God, do not leave here feeling this way, that Jesus has died for you. Call out to Him and be saved, and you will be reconciled and close to God. Receive His grace today. Some of you here today need to reconcile with someone. Maybe it's a church member. Maybe it's a family member. Someone at home or a phone call away. Maybe today you need to be reconciled. But all of us today need to attack anger in our hearts. Curb hurtful words and not allow anger to take root in our lives. Friends, today let us be reconciled. Let us pray. God, I ask you today, as we have come to your word, that you would challenge us to control our anger, to not let anger take root, but it begins by having a heart sealed with the Spirit of God. I pray today, if someone does not know you, that you would bring them to saving faith and be born again. I pray for someone who is holding back a hard conversation or a hard reconciliation that, God, you would move in their hearts to help them take that step, make that call, make that move, and begin restoring the relationship. And, God, I pray for all of us this morning to control the anger in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.